0: Welcome to Brain Pain, where we discuss everything psychology. I'm John. And as I always say, I'm not a therapist, just a guy with a master's degree in psychology working on a PhD, well, PsyD, in psychology. Nothing I say here is meant to replace therapy or be therapy. Nope, that's not what this is. We're just discussing things about psychology or connect with psychology or psychology. So before we get started, I just want to remind you that the end of November, I will be taking two months at the end of this season, so December and January off. Uh, Then the podcast will start again in February. Also, last week, uh, I realized after listening to my podcast and looking at my notes, I'd missed a couple of big points. And that's something I just want to talk about briefly is that I have notes and I have some points I want to make and I plan to make, but I don't always make all of them. So we may revisit some subjects and we may talk about different aspects of the same subject within psychology. Don't know. Just uh, making this up as I go along, kind of. So our topic for today, you're not happy. Why is that? Now, most of you will know that I've stopped using the term happy life in general because I I prefer to think of it as satisfying life. I want to live a satisfying life. And I believe that by living a satisfying life, I will have more happy time than not. I believe that happiness is a temporary state of being. It's subjective well-being. Right? So subjective well-being or happiness is not a permanent state. However, we can have a satisfying life because We are gonna be happy sometimes, we're gonna be sad sometimes. We're going to be somewhere in the middle a lot. But why are we, why are so many people feeling like their life is unsatisfying, that they're not happy, or they're not happy enough, or often enough? Well my plan is to talk about a handful of things and there's a lot of information that I wrote down in notes, we'll see how much of it I get through. Um, But the, the core I think is our perceptions, our expectations or our bar setting. Where do we set the bar? What, is our, what do we expect to happen? And then our physical well-being, such as diet and exercise. Now, those of you who have been listening for a while know I talk about diet and exercise a lot. I think they're really important. And a lot of the diet has to do, the more I read, the more I find out it has to do with insulin regulation uh, for diet. And that's a huge deal. One other thing that we we have to consider uh, that I just haven't mentioned is our circadian rhythm, our schedule, huge, huge part of life being um, satisfying, of being happy, of at least not being anxious and depressed. So I thought I'd start off with a friend of mine, and I'm just going to say his first name is Chris. And Chris, if you're listening, you'll recognize you, or at least I hope you do. Chris is generally happy. Now, the reason I picked Chris is because if you were to look at his life as a whole, there is a lot of darkness in Chris's life. And I won't go into detail, but he had some very dark times. Very dark. He's faced uh, um, conflict and adversity throughout his life. Now, granted, some of this was self-inflicted, as it is with all of us. A lot of our adversity, if we're honest, and we were to do some serious self-reflection, we would realize that a lot of our negative experiences were directly related to our decisions. But with Chris, we're going back to Chris now, he has his expectations set realistically. And by that, I don't mean low, because a lot of people say, oh, well, if you set realistic goals, you'll reach them, and it's not really pushing yourself. Now, Chris has goals that stretch him, but they're realistic. And when I say realistic, what I mean are goals that make you reach, goals that you might not quite make, but they're realistic. They're, they're possible. Of course, Chris does not have the ambition of being a rock star next week. That would be an unrealistic goal. And I'm not going to go into his goals, but I am going to say that I think from the goals he shared with me, they're very realistic. Having experienced the adversity he's experienced, so he has a, a frame of reference, and he knows how bad things can be. He knows things can be much worse than they are, and so that might help a little bit. Now, I do not advocate going through adversity simply so you have a frame of reference. But knowing the adversities you've faced, if you, because again, I assume you've faced some, because everyone I know has faced some kind of adversity, you have some frame of reference. And you also understand that there could be things that happen in your life that are worse because we've seen people around us have terrible things happen. It's just the reality of life. So Chris also chooses to focus on the things that are good, the things that are important, and take actions on the things that he has some control over. So his family is important to him. So he takes action on that. He tries to maintain his family. Part of it is by maintaining himself, but also the rest of his family. He tries to be active and present with the family. And he tries very hard to do his best to contribute positive experiences and hard work towards the maintenance of that family. Now, he also has a hobby that he enjoys thoroughly. Absolutely loves his hobby. And so he participates in that as often as he can as part of his self-care. And it just so happens, his particular job, he gets a lot of exercise. So he hits a lot of the points of what I've talked about. He he sets goals and, and the like. Um, now, you say, oh, it sounds like he's got a good life. Well, he does have a good life. But he also has a young child, and that child doesn't sleep all the way through the night yet. He spends a lot of hours either taking care of his child or his wife or trying to catch a quick nap or going and working hard. But in that, he finds joy. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to find joy in that lifestyle. That doesn't mean it's a lifestyle for you. It doesn't mean it's a lifestyle for anyone in specific except for Chris. But he works hard to maintain that life and work works hard to participate in that life. And I would say in general, at least from what he shared with me, is a happy guy. Which makes me happy that he is happy. But that ties in a lot to perception. Because he could easily say, oh, my, my I could have a better job. Oh, I could have uh, a nicer house. Oh, I could have a better car. Knowing Chris, he's not going to tell me you could have a better wife. But he could worry about all these other things that could be better. but he doesn't. and so that ties into your perception and your your expectation or your bar setting. let's talk about perception and just remember that if a spider is having a great day, it's a nightmare for a fly. same event, two different perspectives. So with that, let's, let's talk about expectations. Let's talk about where we set the bar. When I travel, and I used to travel a lot for work, I used to have what I called my travel attitude. I can guarantee you that in, if I had to fly places or if I had long trips, things were going to go, I won't call it wrong. Some things would probably go wrong, but there are other things that would be inconvenient. They would be less than desirable. They would not be ideal. They would be tedious, they would be challenging, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what happens when you travel. So I would simply set my expectations that things would happen, but they could be overcome. It didn't matter what was going to happen, it would be able to be overcome one way or another. So what I found is, I'm, I find myself in a delayed flight situation, or I find myself in um, waiting to get on the plane and there's some hang-up and it's taking longer than expected and there's not enough overhead room and things like this, getting on a plane. I'm standing next to the person that I'm going to sit next to several times or even get into the plane and sit next to them and they're frustrated and they're angry and they're upset. I'm not. I know that it may take me longer than expected to get where I'm going. I know if I have a connecting flight, it might be missed. And if there is, there's nothing I can do about it. I have no control over it. All I can do is go for the ride. And so as long as I realize that all I can do is go for the ride, all of a sudden the trip gets easier because it's not my responsibility anymore. Now, if I miss a connecting flight because I don't get off the plane and get over to the connecting flight in a timely manner, that would be different. But I'm going to. So if I miss that connecting flight because my original flight is late, I have no control over that. There's no, nothing to get upset about. I mean, it's a little frustrating, but okay. So it's a little frustrating. Who cares? Why waste the energy getting upset? It's not going to change it. Also, those things that went wrong were not directed at me. No one said, hey, let's uh, fly slow so John misses his connecting flight. No one's out to get me in that scenario. And in some scenarios, I've been in jobs before where there were people that were maybe even out to get me. I just keep doing me. I can't control that person, at least not in that situation, not that scenario. I didn't have the ability to uh, keep them from coming after me. I just go ahead and live my life, and things actually have worked out better because I did it that way instead of trying to control things I had no control over. Now, I understand, and this is common, that when things go wrong, we start to feel persecuted. Believe me, I've had my times where that was exactly how I felt. Someone's out to get me. It's a terrible thing. But the reality is that most of the time they're not. It's because I get caught up in my own emotion. I get focused on me. I become the center of the universe. And that is when I am the least satisfied with my life. For most of the people that I've talked to about this subject and, and explored these trips, it ties into the ego. And our ego gets in the way and we're so wrapped up in ourselves and what we have to do and what's important to us that we start to look at things as obstacles to us. The other hundred people who missed a flight, we don't think twice about. We think about the fact that we missed our flight and that's what's important. Well, in a big scheme of things, none of us are all that important. And yet we're all vitally important which I'll get to in a bit. But the point is that if you take the emotion out of it, you can understand the situation and deal with it appropriately. Very rarely do I raise my voice or allow my frustration to lead a conversation with a customer service rep. The only time in recent years that I have done that is when I feel like they are trying to just get me off the phone instead of deal with my issue. And even then I understand that it's probably their job to deal with so many customers in a certain amount of average time. So if I'm on longer than two minutes, that's gonna mess up their average. But again, nothing I can do to control that. I have to control my end of the conversation. And so being upset with a person I've never met and I've only talked to on the phone for a customer service issue isn't going to fix anything. So there is a clinical psychologist who has a, a lot of drama around him because he's done interviews and a lot of the media doesn't like him. But his name's Jordan Peterson. He's Canadian but I've actually watched a lot of his uh, snippets from his lectures, which are pure psychology. And he talks, and I, w- I would say look it up, he does, a, uh, he does a lecture and talks about the importance of emotion regulation. And I'm paraphrasing some of what he said, and I'm tying some other things into this, but emotional regulation is our responsibility. And unfortunately, we're usually not taught emotional regulation, We're not taught how to control our emotions. I would go so far as to say in modern society, due to the love of drama and the sheer number of cell phones, people encourage a lack of emotional regulation. They wanna feed off your drama. Anyway, one of the the things that um, Dr. Peterson talks about is specifically is anger and not regulating anger. And if we don't regulate anger, it can lead us to a much more miserable state of existence. This is because if we have unregulated anger and we just allow ourselves to go right as far as our emotions will carry us, we may do and say things that are a part of us that we were unaware of. A horrible, terrible, nasty disgusting part of us and he ties it into the two hemispheres of the brain and so he talks about how the two hemispheres don't necessarily have to talk to each other because in certain forms of um, I believe it's epilepsy they will they will sever the corpus callosum and this is what big bundle of nerves that connect the two sides of your brain two hemispheres and one side of the brain can be do something without the other side knowing about it. It's kind of a freaky thing. And and what they found is this actually shows with personality and how you can develop parts of a personality that you're generally consciously unaware of. However, it still exists within you. And that's a kind of a, we can get in the weeds with the whole how the brain works again, but it's a big deal that we know there are parts of our subconscious that we don't see in our conscious existence. There are parts of our personality that lay dormant or hidden or under the surface. This is often expressed in strange, when, when we do strange things or we say, hmm, I'm not sure why I did that, that can sometimes be an expression from part of our personality that we have left buried and not expressed or taken the time to understand. But let's move on with emotion regulation. Accepting that there's part of us that we maybe don't want to expose or that has developed as a defense mechanism throughout history um, as we've adapted as human beings, We've also developed cultures, and our cultures typically assist us with emotional regulation. The problem we're seeing, in my opinion, in modern age, day and age, is that we have lost our culture. And I'm not saying, oh hey, I'm Irish, or oh hey, I'm Italian, or Nigerian, or Russian, or you know Chinese, or Japanese, whatever. It's not just that. Walking around saying, hey, my culture is, isn't your culture. Your culture is where you live daily. Your culture is how you interact with other people and the people that you choose to be around, at least when you don't have to be at work. And for some of us, it's even when we are at work because the job we choose is within the culture we want to be in. And so people in a culture are helped to regulate their emotions by expected behavior. So the culture you're in has expectations of behavior. A lot of cultures traditionally have a certain time of mourning. When someone passes away, you're expected to mourn for a certain amount of time. And in a certain way. This helps reduce the distress and anxiety of losing someone because we have an expected way to process that loss. We understand how we're supposed to behave. And this was handed down through families and communities. When someone would pass, the community would be there and they would all have specific roles to play in the processing of that grief. That doesn't seem to exist so much in modern society. And when I say modern society, I'm, I'm of course, talking about the United States because that's where I live, and this is what I witness. Lack of culture can create a a difficulty in emotional regulation. Um, The nervous system... Within the culture, if you're you're in a culture and it has established expectations, your nervous system is easier to regulate. You've often heard, I'm certain that humans are herd animals or we're social animals or use whatever term you want there, but we are not designed to be isolated and alone. That's just not how we function at our best. If we are left alone and we don't have a culture and we don't have those expectations, then we don't know what to expect. If you watched a friend or a family member lose someone and then go through the process of mourning in a very strong culture, then when you lose someone, you know what to expect for yourself. You know what's expected of you you understand that there's going to be a process and you have some idea of what that process will be. If you're isolated and you don't, or even if you're part of a group but you don't have a culture, no clue. You really don't know what to expect. There's no reinforcement of your emotional regulation. And this can lead to issues with basically serotonin deprivation. Saying serotonin deprivation is an over, massively oversimplification, but basically your brain's not getting the happy juice to reinforce what would be considered acceptable behavior. Again, oftentimes in in modern society, I believe that we are encouraged to behave poorly so other people can film it and everyone can get a good laugh at it or feel emotional about how out of control someone is, or have it used for some political gain. I want to be clear that when I say having a culture and emotional regulation expectations, I don't mean conformity. Sounds like it, but I really don't. It's more like a guideline, not an absolute um setting. It's a way to check ourselves. It is uh, if someone's getting out of control, your 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 cult your your group, your tribe grabbing you by the arm and, and pulling you aside and saying, whoa, you're out of control. Whoa, you're out of control. I'm here to help you. I'm here to protect you from yourself. It's not giving you groupthink. And that's that's the danger of an over controlling culture is that groupthink of, um, of absolute control. And, and I say that because think about World War II Germans. Do you think everyone agreed with the people that were in power? I would say no, but they didn't speak up early enough. They were just going along because it was easier. And that can lead to a very unhappy unsatisfying life as well, because then you lose the unique genius that is you. Having a culture and having guidelines is great, but going too far in that direction is just as bad. And actually, I want to read a quote here. If you you had a reasonably decent education in the United States, you should have heard of Ralph Waldo Emerson, poet, lecturer, um, basically philosopher. One of the things, he said a couple things about conforming uh, to the extreme, in the extreme sense. He says, the virtue in most requests is conformity. Talking about society. The virtue and most requests is conformity. But he said a few other things about conformity that we need to consider. And it also ties into this idea of having proper expectations of emotional regulation. Nothing, and this is his quote, nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your mind. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your mind, and I agree with that. That means that you're not always going to agree with your friends and your, those around you. So in your community, you have emotional regulation, but you have disagreements and individual thought. I want to make sure I'm stressing that because I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying having a culture means that you cannot be unique or think for yourself. Huge difference. And and I have a couple more quotes that I I just want to give you because I really like them from uh, Ralph Waldo and Emerson. Um, For nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. Let me tell you something. I have been whipped with the world's displeasure a lot because I don't conform uh, nearly as much as a lot of people I know. I'm not a rebel. I just like to think for myself, which maybe makes me a rebel in some people's books. But I like to use logic and thought and see if I agree. Take all the data available, especially in a modern society where every piece of quote information we're given is politically charged. It's filtered. It's twisted. It's presented in a very specific light and we are encouraged not to think for ourselves and having said that I'll go with the last quote I have from uh, Mr. Emerson which is talking about we must display our opinions quote with good humored inflexibility than most when the whole cry of voices is in on the other side, end quote. So in other words, we have to have good humor. We need to be inflexible with our unique position when all the voices are against us if we firmly believe it. Do not give in just to give in. This is important. This is I'm stressing this because this leads into my next point. Having said we have a culture with expectations of emotional regulation, Too often we seek validation. I say that because having a culture, I think all too often we are less than satisfied with our lives. We are unhappy because we are seeking validation from people whose opinions we should not value. We are seeking validation from people we do not have serious, real bonds with. Now, this seeking of validation from strangers basically is—I'm going. Okay, you ready for it? Because I'm going to pick on social media again. Seeking validation of strangers is now a pastime. It's now a hobby. Why do you think people do the things they do on TikTok or any of the social medias? I don't care. Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever they are. Why do you think a number of famous people who are secure in their own person are not on social media? Or If they have social media, it's run by a team. It's not run by them. They don't really even look at it. It's because they don't need your validation. Seeking the validation by looking at the numbers of likes, of views, of all those things. If that's what you're doing with social media – you're probably not going to be satisfied with your life because you're probably not going to get the number of likes or the views or any of that that you want now doing it as a business there may be a different business that may be a different deal however if you base your self-worth on it it will be unsatisfying and if you've noticed there's a whole movement um of forced conformity on social media. How dare you have an original thought? You're expected to parrot what other important people say, but but who's important? And how is it they're the only ones with good ideas? Well, they're not. They just want enough people to parrot it so that if you have an original idea that varies from theirs, that they can beat you down because now you're the enemy, now you're evil. And we see this all the time on social media. There's so much hate and and anger in social media. That's why I don't post a lot other than YouTube videos. And then I really don't care what what people think of them. I, I really am posting them for myself as much as anything. So what we really need in in a group or in a culture is cooperation, not conformity. And again, the culture will give you guidelines and, and give you a sense of security and reduce anxiety, but it's not conformity, and that's important. And so my suggestion would be that we stop trying to get the world to validate us through all the social media. trying to get hundreds to millions to billions of strangers to validate us as human beings. I don't know how anyone could expect that to be a satisfying way to live. Instead, take that energy, take that time and invest it in people around you in your day-to-day life, in your real life. Now, people want to argue whether or not online life, its that's real life and I've got people that I really enjoy speaking with that I've never met face-to-face or I only met face-to-face after you know, conversations online and I really enjoy those people. Those are real relationships. If you've been online for any length of time, you've met somebody, you've talked for them and they've disappeared. And that may not be the best investment of your time. Have a group of people that are your people your friends, your families. Sometimes it can't be family because your family's toxic. We get that. But have a group of people that had quality relationships. And I guarantee you'll be much, living smaller on the scale of fame. Living smaller in a community, in a group, being part of a real community. Being part of a geographical community, being part of a hobbyist community will give you a more satisfying life. You will be happier. When I say a hobbyist community, that might be physically local, but there are... um, There are genealogist groups, hobbyists, that connect all over the world. Never met each other face to face. And that's a good use of social media, by the way. And they have this great hobby and and they really develop real relationships. Great thing. Awesome thing. But develop it. Find that niche that is you don't spend all your time watching youtube and trying to take on the latest tiktok challenge you will have an honest your life will be unsatisfying your life will not be satisfying you will not be satisfied with that life i say the same thing to people who are doing video games for 12 hours a day unless it's your profession you're not going to be satisfied. And even if it is your profession, you may find out it's not a very satisfying profession, which we can get to the statistical uh, probabilities of any one of us being that one person who is significantly uh, better at something than everybody else. It's pretty low. But anyway, just to kind of sum it up, Make sure your expectations are realistic. Look at the world around you without emotion and what do you expect and what are you doing to reach the goals and make those expectations happen? Check your perception. Remember you're not the center of the universe. That's too much responsibility anyway. And get your diet and exercise right. Diet and exercise is the foundation of a healthy mind. Okay, that's all I've got this time around. Remember that I love you. Take care of yourself. Rock on.